Okay, we're beginning here on the top of Kufalapam and Alif, eight lines down. Amrav Huna, Hana Bitsiato de Meshan. These, Bitsiato, we'll explain in one second. De Meshan is the name of a location. And then Rashi explains that Bitsiato are Spinot Ktanot, small boats. But the unique feature of these boats is that they are Kitsarot Milamato, that below they come to a point, they become very narrow down below. Ad Kichodoshel Sakin, until they taper off to the thinness or the narrowness of a knife. So these boats, even though on the surface on the deck have sufficient area to be classified as a Rishute Yachid, which would be 4 by 4 Tvachim, and they have Mechitzot around them, the problem is that the Mechitzot on the side of the boat come down and taper inward, and therefore ruin them from being Mechitzot. Because of that, you can't carry on them. Now the word that we have here in the Gemara is Arba'a, which is a male configuration of the number, and that would imply Arba'at Tvachim, but if you look in both Rashi and the Baliatosaf they clearly think that it's Arba in the female conjugation, and meaning for Amot, which means that it has a status of a Carmelite, and since it has the status of a Carmelite, you can only carry within them within four Amot, like we saw earlier in the Mesechta, that a Carmelite has a din like a Rishutu Rabim in terms of carrying within it. Just like a Rishutu Rabim, you're not allowed to carry four Amot, so too with regards to a Carmelite, you're not allowed to carry four Amot, assuming that it is classified as a Carmelite, and Carmelite requires that it be at least four by four Tfachim wide. So we do have the four by four Tfachim wide, which is the deck of the boat, but we're missing are the Mechitzot that are ten Tfachim high. Those Mechitzot are not Mechitzot according to Rashi because of the fact that they narrow down to a point at the bottom of the boat. And now the Gemara qualifies that and says, Lo amran el arba'a. That's only if below the area of three tvachim, meaning within three tvachim of the base of the boat, that there isn't four tvachim wide. If within the last three tvachim of the base of the boat, till it reaches the point of the hull, there is still four tvachim wide, the late lanba. There is no problem. So according to Rashi, what seems to be over here is that you have the possibility of this boat being either a Rishut Yachid or a Carmelite. That depends on the Mechitzot. It depends on whether it has walls over here. The deck of the boat is 4 by 4 Tvachim, so it qualifies to be a Rishut Yachid because, as it seems from Rashi, Noach Tashmishet, that it is easily utilized. It's something that's functional. And therefore, since you have the possibility of utilizing that space, it would be considered a Rishut Yachid, assuming that you have the other qualification of Rishut Yachid, which is that you have Mechitzot of Ten Fachim. A Carmelite, also like a Kula of Rishut Yachid, has the same din that it requires four by fourth Fachim to be a Carmelite, but a Carmelite doesn't require Mechitzot. So the question at hand is, are the walls of the boat, a hull of the boat, classified as mechitzot or not classified as mechitzot? And Rashi says that's dependent on how narrow it gets at the bottom. If it gets down to a point where it's so narrow, for the last three tfachim, which is the base of the hull, it is less than four tfachim wide, that ruins the mechitzot that are above, because those mechitzot are no longer considered to be walls or mechitzot that come to a base, because there isn't sufficient room in the base to be classified as mechitzot, rather than they become what Rashi terms here as mechitzot tluyot, mechitzot that are hanging in the air. They're suspended mechitzot without any base under them. And then we'll have to discuss what exactly is the status of mechitzot tluyot, which will be the remainder of the sugya. So Rashi says that pivotal question is, is there a base to the boat? How do you determine if there's a base to the boat is whether there's four by four tfachim in the last three tfachim of the base of the boat 
Is there enough width for there to be a base? If there is, then the walls are mechitzot. If they're mechitzot, then the 4 by 4 tvachim on the top is a reshut yachid. If it becomes so narrow that for the last 3 tvachim until it reaches the point of the hull, it's not 4 tvachim wide at that point, then the mechitzot are no longer considered to have ended there. They are basically mechitzot that are suspended in the air because they have no base. Now mechitzot that are suspended in the air then leave you with 4 by 4 tvachim on the boat, on the deck of the boat, without any proper mechitzot, because these are mechitzot puyot, hanging mechitzot, and therefore it's when he classified as a karmelit, and that's what Rabuna says now, the deck of such a boat, you can't carry more than 4 amot, because it's classified as a karmelit, because the base of the boat doesn't have really a base to it, therefore the mechitzot are not mechitzot, that are classified as full-fledged mechitzot, but rather just hanging mechitzot, and therefore you have a karmelit, and not a reshut ayachit. And the Gemara also notes, the imalinu kane v'urbane, if you fill it up with sticks and reeds until you fill in the hull, the empty space of the hull, late lanba, then it's not a problem. So if you can raise the base of the hull by filling it in with filler material, if it's just airspace, then we consider the mechitzot to descend until the point of the hull. And if in the last three tfachim, they're not four tfachim apart, they don't have that distance between them, they're not considered to be a mechitza with a base to it that makes it that it ends and they are structured mechitzot. That's only if there's airspace. If you fill in that airspace with filler material and therefore basically raise the floor or the base of the mechitzot, then if you fill it in to the point where it's four tfachim wide, then you have mechitzot above that are full-fledged mechitzot because they reach a base that's fourth fachim wide. And even though it descends further, it doesn't matter because you filled in that area with filler material. And that then is mevatel, anything below there. And this becomes the base of the mechitzot. And now that you have a base of the mechitzot, they're considered to be structural mechitzot. And you can then have the area on top that's four by four tvachim be classified as a rishuta yachid. So that is the view of Rashi. The Baliyat Tosafot take issue with Rashi on a number of points, one of which is, if it is not considered to be a space that is usable for a rishuta yachid, then why is it considered to be a space that is usable for a Carmelite? And does what ask, Kashi, just like the Mechitzot narrowing to a point ruins the Rishut Yachid, Mishum Dalei because they don't have four Tvachim, Achanayim it should also not have a din of a Carmelite. A Carmelite has the same requirements as a Rishut Yachid of four by four Tvachim. The Sfat Ahmed points out about this question of the Tosafot, it seems to be unfounded or lacking a good basis because Rashi never made such a suggestion. Rashi only said that the base of the boat determines whether the walls are mechitzot. It has nothing to do with the area on the deck, which is 4 by 4 tvachim. That, Rashi says, is 4 by 4 tvachim. Whether it's a Rishut Yachid or whether it's a Karmelit, that's a full 4 by 4 tvachim. The only question we have is, do we have mechitzot? Rishut Yachid needs mechitzot. So if there are no mechitzot, then you don't have a Rishut Yachid. A Karmelit does not need mechitzot. And therefore, if the walls, the hull of the boat is not considered to be the mechitzot, then that's fine, because the area on top will be a Karmelit without mechitzot. And therefore, he fails to see what the question of Bali Atosafot is on Rashi, and he says that, But he says the Ran also in the Shem Farshim also notes this. Tosafot then adds on, the reason that it's disqualified over here as a Rishut is because of Lo Nei Chatash 
it's not easily utilized. I mean, the space in the hull that narrows down to a point is an area that's not easily accessible or usable because of its narrowness. And that's what causes the bitul over here. That's how they understood Rashi. And, therefore, why should it make a difference if it's a Rishut Yachid or a Carmelite? In both instances, it's not Noach Tashmishtei. It's not easily utilized or it's not functional. And, therefore, why should it matter if it's a Rishut Yachid or Carmelite? It should be neither. It should be a Makom Tor. The way that we explain Rashi is that the Noach Tashmishtei only has to do with the depth. That's where you have to have Noach Tashmishtei. The question of the Mechitzot and coming to a point is a question as to what is the status of the Mechitzot, not the status of the deck, which is Noach Tashmishtei and can qualify as a Rishut Yachid. And therefore you avoid the whole problem of the Baliyat Tosafot. But because of the way the Baliyat Tosafot understood Rashi, they therefore come up with an alternate explanation based on the Rebbeinu Hanano. The Rebbeinu Hanano is actually found on the bottom of Puf Bet Amr Aleph, and we'll read it inside. He says, Perish Bitziata Sfinot Ktanot, Hasiyot Tashmish Hagedolot. These are small boats that are there for the benefit of the larger boats. And that is because when they come into the port, they're unable, the larger boats, to come all the way into the port sometimes, either because it's not deep enough or because they're uncertain as to whether it's deep enough to go in. So then they bring a smaller boat either to test the waters or to see what's there or to then unload the cargo and unload the passengers and take them ashore. So it is a smaller boat that gives you access to the larger boat or it could be the equivalent of a tugboat that is pulling the larger boat in slowly so that it can come into the port without hitting the ground in the port. And then he mentions the fact that because they are very light, and then they're able to go on water that is murky type of water, and that's why they're called bitziata. And Meishan is because the place in Meishan had a lot of these bitziot, or what seemingly are these swamps, or these marshes that allow these boats to go through because they're light and able to move through the marshes where the larger boats would be capsized because of the stickiness of the mud in the marshes. And then he describes the features of this boat, which is They have walls like a regular boat. They have a hull like a regular boat. Looks the equivalent of a rowboat. And the floor of the boat is made by boards that stretch across. And there's empty space. So there's boards on the bottom. Some describe it here simply as parallel boards with spacing between them. Others describe it as being a weave, like a checkered bottom to the boat. And the water is able to get in over there. Meaning that the base of the boat is not solid. It's made up of planks of wood, maybe somewhat equivalent to a raft that has gapping between the boards of the raft, but it has walls on the side, unlike a raft. Or it's a checkered bottom, so the boat is light enough that it can float and stay on top of the water. And as the Rabbeinu Hanano points out over here, even if the boat overturns, it doesn't sink because of the material used or the wood that's used is light enough that the boat never submerges or becomes capsized because the spacing between the boards allows the water to escape and therefore the boat does not sink because it can never really fill with enough water to sink it because the water can drain from inside of it. And the problem we have here is that these boards that are laid out are more than three tfachim apart. And so these boards that are more than three tfachim apart, each board, which is four tfachim wide, is a reshut, but it is a carmelite because it's a single board with 
more than three tfachim between it and the next board that is there. And therefore, since it's open on the bottom, the space between the boards is mivatel those boards from becoming a reshute yachid because the water which is beneath it is a carmelite. And that carmelite eliminates the shame reshute yachid from the boards that are laid out on the base of this canoe or small light boat or marsh boat raft that we're speaking about. And so then the Gemara qualifies it, and here is where it's a little difficult for this pshat. Toswat himself suggests that you should eliminate this from the girsah. He thinks that it should not be in the girsa, or the way that the Rabbeinu Hananel has it, that that is only true. That's only true when you don't say that there is less than three tfachim between them, so it's a double negative, or in essence it's saying that as long as there's three tfachim between the boards, you have a problem. If between the boards there's less than three tfachim, since that's considered as if it doesn't exist anymore, now you've eliminated the Carmelite, the water below, from being mevato, the reshut yachid, and now it's as if the whole base of the boat is attached, and now you've created a reshut hayachid. And if it's a reshut yachid, then you can carry it throughout the area of the boat or the internal part of the boat. And even if the nisarim, even if these boards were less than four tfachim, which is why Tosafot doesn't love the girsa in the Gemara that we have, because in our Gemara it seems to indicate that four tfachim is a qualification. Over here, the way that the Rabbeinu Hanano reads it is, well, either you have it that there's less than three tfachim between boards that are four tfachim wide, and never becomes a single base, or even if the nisarim are less than four tfachim wide, and between each board there's more than three tfachim, or at least three tfachim, then also over there, it's fine because it becomes a makom p'tur. Because a karmali requires a minimum of four by four tfachim. And so the boards there that are sitting in the water, even though they are less than four tfachim, they're not mivutal to the water to become a karmalite like the water because they don't make the qualification of four by four tfachim. Therefore, they become a makom p'tur. And you can carry throughout the boat now because the whole boat becomes a makom p'tur. That's somewhat hard to understand because why is it that boards that are bigger, that the water below is to make them into a Carmelite, whereas when the boards are narrower, we all of a sudden make it into a Makom Tour, and it has a unique standing and significance so that it can be separate from the water. Why isn't it just batel to the water? And that's why I think the Bali Tosafot eliminate that from the Girsa. According to the Rabbeinu Hanano, this part of the Gemara is much easier to understand. If you fill it in with twigs or with reeds, then late on but it's not a problem because then you've created lovewood Across, you've now you've filled in the spaces between the nisarim, and filling in those spaces then makes it into a complete single entity, and that's why it's then a reshut yachid. And so this is much easier to understand than Rashi's explanation of kanurbane as to why it is that when you fill in the hole with material, that all of a sudden that becomes a base where airspace is not good enough, but filled material is good enough. So here we have, again, two different explanations of what Betsiata the Meishan is. Rashi is suggesting that it's a boat with a very narrow hull. And the question at hand is, are the Mechitzot Mechitzot or not Mechitzot? And according to the Balei Tosavot and the Rebbeinu Hananel, which is the, the explanation of the Geonim, we're speaking about here a boat, a raft that has walls on the side, but the base of the boat is not sealed completely, but rather made up of boards with spacing between them. And the spacing between them makes it that each board is seen independently 
independently and does not make them into a single entity and is mevatel that reshut from becoming a reshut yachid and mechitzot from becoming mechitzot and therefore the area is considered to be a carmelite and that's why you can't carry for amot. So this is the question posed by Rav Nachman, which is basically the issue that we have now. Why don't we say if the mechitzot are invalidated, like Rashi says, because they come to too narrow a point and they don't have a base, why don't we say, fine, we understand that the mechitzot are not mechitzot with a base, and therefore a structure, and therefore the mechitzot are good mechitzot, but they're still considered to be mechitzot tuyot. They're mechitzot that are hanging in the air without any base to them. And once you have that, we have a principle, Allah the Moshe Misinai, of good achit. Achit means to drop down. Gold means the wall or the fence. So the fence, once it's tent vachim tall, we're going to see this many times in Eruvin, we assume that, that the wall can be good asik, meaning it can go up, and good achit, it can drop down. The mechitza has the ability, once it has tent vachim, to be classified halachically as if it drops down, or as if it halachically goes up. So here, why don't we say that the walls go down, and the way that Rashi terms it is that the walls will then be as if they reach the floor of the river, ocean, or wherever you're in, and then you'll have a base to this mechitzot, and then they'll become proper mechitzot, and you'll have a reshut yachid now, because these are mechitzot tluyot. So why does Rabuna say that this is a Carmelite? It should be considered a reshut yachid. According to Tosafot, he says that the Gemara's question is, why don't we say that the mechitzot that are hanging are as if they are kilu dofnei asfino akumim? As if they are now on a slant, umitsavavim anisarim, and as if they encompass or close in this sarim, nimto anisarim mechubarim. So his suggestion is that when we look at good achit, we look at it as if the area below the mechitza, as if it's completely filled in. And we'll see the example in the Gemara in one second. So then here too, when we look at these mechitzot tliyot, and we say good achit, then the area below should be filled in, and it's as if the base of the boat now is a solid base, and why should it be muvutal? Because there are more than three tvachim between each of the nisarim that are in the base of the boat. Milotanyo, don't we have a bright, the Rabbi Yosef, Rabbi Yudomer, person who puts up a post or a pillar in the Rishut Rabim, and on top of it is an upside-down basket, and then you throw something that lands on top of this upside-down basket at the top of the pillar, Chayav, your Chayav from throwing something from Rishut Rabim to Rishut HaYachid. Rishut Rabim only goes as high as Tent Vachim. Above that, it's a Makom Ptur. A Rishut HaYachid is something that's Tent Vachim high, with four by four tvachim. So now the traskal, the basket on the top of this pillar is four by four tvachim. So now we have the area that is considered to be a reshut yachid. It is more than ten tvachim high because it's up on this pillar. The only problem is it doesn't have mechitzot. So what Rabbi Yossi Rabbi Yudha suggests over here is that the walls of the basket that come over, since it's an upside down basket that come over this pillar, we look at them as if gurachit, as if they drop down to the ground below. And that creates mechitzot to say now that we have a pillar that's really 4 by 4 tfachim all the way from the ground, all the way up to the top, and it's more than 10 tfachim high, so now it should be classified as a Rishut Yachid. Alma, Amrina, Ngur Achid, Mechitzata. So here you see that we do invoke that principle of the Mechitzot as if they drop down. Hachanami, so too by the boat. Neymar, Ngur Achid, Mechitzata. Let's say the same thing by the boat. So just like over there, we invoke the principle of Ngur Achid, that the Mechitzot can drop down. Why can't we do that by the boat here as well? Matkiv la Rav Yosef. So Rav Yosef challenges this question of Rav Nachman and says, Velo Shmiluhu, Lahad Amar Rav Yehuda Amarav. You didn't hear this qualification 
of Rabbi Yehuda Merab, Mishum and some lean to say that it was in the name of Rabbi Chia, not in the name of Rav, but Tani Allah, and they qualify this story about the basket on the pillar, Rechamim Potrim, the Chamim disagree, meaning that this is the Dat Yachid of Rabbi Yosi Rabbi Yehuda, but the Chachamim disagree. And since the Chachamim disagree, why is Rav Nachman trying to invoke a din of Rabbi Yossi Rabbi Yehuda to question Rav Huna? Rav Huna can just hold like the Chachamim. Amr Abaye. So now Abaye responds to his Rabbi Rabbi Yossi and says, Va'at lo tisbira? You don't think that this din of Rabbi Yossi Rabbi Yehuda is widely accepted even by the Chachamim? Va'atanyo. Don't we have a brighter that seems to indicate otherwise? Amud b'shut rabim You have a pillar in Rishut rabim that is ten tefachim high, Baruchav Dalit, and it is four by four tefachim at the top. So that's a classic Rishut Yachid, ten tefachim high, four by four. The only little nuance about this is ve'ain be'ikaro Dalit, that the base of the pillar does not have the requisite four by four tefachim. V'yesh b'katsar shalom gimel, and at the narrow point it has three tefachim. Rashi explains that for at least three tefachim at the base of the pillar, there is not four by four tefachim. So if it was less than three tefachim at the four by four came down and just the bottom was a narrower piece, then it wouldn't matter because you'd use labud and it'd be as if those reached the ground. So Rashi is saying is it needs to be above three tefachim that this narrow area of the pillar exists. And after that, it expands to be a wider 4x4 tefachim. So it's not like the case of Rabbi Yossi Rabbi Yudo, where the pillar is narrow all the way up. But here it's narrow at the bottom. Rashi says a minimum of at least 3 tefachim. It is that way. And then it, it widens out to be 4x4 tefachim. Tosafot, on the other hand, says Vesh v'katsash gimel means at the narrow spot. Meaning that up top, it's 4x4 tefachim, the pillar. At the narrower part of the pillar, it's 3x3 three three tefachim. It's not all the way to 4x4, four four, but it's also not a narrow piece. It's something that's 3x3. Three three. It's only missing a tefach on each side. B'zarak menacha gabav. If you throw something and it lands atop, chayav. So alma amrinan gudachit mechitzata. Here you see that even according to the chachamim, we invoke the principle of gudachit mechitzata. Because here you see that even though the narrow part at the bottom does not meet the requisite 4x4 four four tvachim to make it that you have mechitzot of 10 that are 4x4, four four, nevertheless we still say it's as if these mechitzot drop down and exist all the way down to the ground. So you see we're invoking this principle of good achit mechitzata and saying that it's as if this has mechitzot, there are 10 tvachim, then they drop down to the ground making it 4x4 four four all the way to the ground even though at the base of the pillar you don't have 4x4 four four tvachim. According to Rashi we have no idea what the size of the pillar is there. According to the Bali Tosafot, we know that it's at least a minimum of three by three tefachim. So just like over there, in that case, we say that it is good achid michitzata, and the assumption is that this is also the sheet of the Chachamim, not just the sheet of Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Yehuda. Hachanami, so too in the case of the Traskal, the basket on the top of the narrow pillar, which was Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Yehuda's position, and by the boat in Meishan, why don't we say, Gurachit mitzichit that the mechitzot drop down, and therefore they reach a place or a part which will be 4x4 four four tvachim. If that's the case, then they are good mechitzot. And why isn't the bod reshut yachid? And why isn't the treskal reshut yachid? Not just for Rabbi Yossi Rabbi but also for the chachamim. The Gemara then says, Mida The use of the term Mida means the cases are not comparable. Generally, when you use the term Mida it means that the rejection of the position that was just presented. Over here it's a baye presenting a position that we have a situation in which we say gudet achit mechitzata. And we want to compare that or we want to say that's similar to the other cases like by the boat and by the traskal. The Gemara comes along and says midi iria. Generally that would mean that we're rejecting a baye and someone is now coming along 
like Rav Yosef from responding to Abaye and saying your distinction or what you're saying is incorrect and that's why you have an issue over here. The problem with saying that is that it's not understandable, the remainder of the Gemara, if you do that because the distinction that's drawn is not meaningful if you reject this position of Abaye. Rashi quotes such such an explanation in the name of his Rebbeim. Sounds like he didn't hear it directly from them, but heard it in their name. And he says, Vitzmiati, I can't believe that they said this, because there's no way to make sense out of it. And therefore Rashi claims that the remainder of the Mediria is actually a continuation of Abaye's question. And Abaye is saying this about his own position and saying, I can distinguish between the case that I brought and the other two cases. But even when I make such a distinction, it still leaves me with a question. And therefore Mediria is slightly different than we find in other places in Shas, it's a bias saying about himself that there is a distinction with the cases, which is over there by the Traskal, that is a mechitza that gdiim goats or kids can buck under or they can ruin it. Over here, it's a mechitza that they goats or kids do not undermine. So what you see from this is that the problem with a mechitza tluya, mechitza that's hanging, is that it's not a mechitza because it doesn't reach the ground. We can invoke a principle called gudachit, that the walls drop down figuratively or halachically, once they have sufficiently tent fachim of height in them, we assume they drop down to the ground and become mechitzot, real mechitzot, and not suspended mechitzot anymore. The only corollary to that is, if Gideim, if kids can walk under those mechitzot, you can't have this halachic fiction of a mechitza when there are items that are walking underneath it. And so the test is a kid that ducks under. If a kid can go under there, that already undermines it as being a mechitza. It's a qualification that we see by sukkah. It also ruins the walls of a sukkah if a kid can go below it because it's not considered to be a mechitza anymore. And so to over here. The problem with the Traskal is that a Gedi can walk right under it. That's the case. We can't invoke the principle of Gurachit. If you can't invoke the principle of Gurachit, then the Mechitzot go back to be Mechitzot Luyot, hanging Mechitzot, and hanging Mechitzot don't qualify as Mechitzot. So you have hanging Mechitzot, which are not Mechitzot. The problem with hanging Mechitzot can be solved by Gurachit, but Gurachit can only be invoked if a animal, like a kid, can't go under it and undermine this halachic fiction of the walls dropping down. And so what he suggests over here is the difference between the, the case that Abai himself brought and the case of the Trascal is the following. By the Trascal, the pillar is extremely narrow and the basket extends out. And we say, well, the walls of the basket can drop down and create the Mechitzot. Over there, a Gedi can get anywhere around the pillar and can undermine the Mechitzot. In the case that Abai brought from the Brayta, the most of the pillar is 4 by 4 Tfachim wide. According to Rashi, by 3 Tfachim and higher it starts that way. According to the Bayat Tosafot, even the bottom piece is 3 by 3 Tfachim wide. It's just not 4 by 4 Tfachim wide. And he says that a goat or a kid won't get that close to a pillar because it doesn't want to rub up against it. It doesn't want to bump into it. So even that last tefach that we're going to say gurachit is not undermined by the goats or by being traversed there because it's not a big enough space that people are going to go into it. It's only a tefach less than that which is above it. According to Rashi, it can be very narrow and therefore it's somewhat not clear as to how Rashi is going to explain that. He seemingly is suggesting that since it gets to 4 by 4 all the way down to that point, and then below it it's narrow. How narrow, we don't know, but it's not so narrow that it allows for a Gedi to get under there, and therefore it does not ruin the Gurachit. So we have, by the case of the pillar that narrows at the way bottom, we can invoke Gurachit and take it from being suspended or 
mechitzot tluyot into full-fledged mechitzot. And that's why it is considered to be a shute achit. By the Treskal, we have mechitzot tluyot that we want to invoke good achit, but the good achit is undermined by the gedim bokim bo. The ability of the gedim to go there. Since we can't invoke it, you're left mechitzot liot, and mechitzot liot are not classified as good mechitzot. Well then, what is Abaye pointing out to Rav Yosef? That this same principle should be able to be invoked by the guards to the boat, because by a boat, and gedim bokimbo. There are no gedim, there are no kids that are walking under the boat to undermine these halachic mechitzot. They're mechitzot liot. We say gudachit, they'll drop down to, as Rashi says, the base of the ocean, and then they'll create proper mechitzot, and it should be a rishut yachid. And there's nothing there to undermine it, because a kid or gedi can't get under it. Well, the obvious question is, Amalei Ravacha braid the Ravacha, the Ravashi, Ravacha, the son of Ravacha, says to Ravashi, Gabe Sfina, Nami Ika Bikat Dagim. Wait a minute, okay, there are no kids that go under there, but you saw fish that swim underneath it. So, on land, it's a gedi. In the water, it's a fish. Why isn't a fish sufficiently undermining of the halachic fiction because it can pass or traverse under the mechitza? Amalei bikiat dagim, lo bikiat. The ability of fish to go below there is not considered to be an undermining of the mechitza. As Rashi says over here, the fish ain't near in. They're not visible. So in order for you to undermine this halachic fiction of a good achit, the mechitza that drops down and it's considered as if it reaches the ground, you need to have something visibly undermining it. If it's something that's not visible because it's in the water, therefore you don't see it readily or easily, it doesn't undermine the mechitza that is there. And given that, the bikia, the undermining of the fish is not considered an undermining of the mechitza. So once again, now we can invoke the principle of gurachit. That's the case. These boats from Meishan should be a rishut yachit and not a karmelit. Umanat emra. And I can show you that bikiat the dagim, that fish, are not considered to be an undermining of a mechitza. The baimine rabbi tavla mi ravin or mi rav. Rabbi tavla asked the ravin or the alternate girsos of rav. If you have a suspended mechitza that's ten tvachim, does that work inside of a churva? You have an area that was a ruin, and so many of the walls have collapsed, but some of the walls are suspended in the air that are still there, and underneath them, the walls that reach the ground have fallen away. So you have these mechitza tluyot. Can they be considered mechitza tluyot? So that, according to Rashi, it would not be prutzah the rishut rabim, that the walls would be classified as walls, and you wouldn't have one side of the area be totally open to Rishut Rabim, which would ruin the Rishut Yachid. According to others, it would simply be that question exists even for the other three walls, which is if they are all Mechitzot Tluyot, or at least the first three of them have some aspect of Mechitzot Tluyot, are the castellated as Mechitzot in order to make the area into a Rishut Yachid. That explanation is more heavily favored by the fact that the Gemara is saying, Mashu Tatir, that it would make it mutar to carry it, meaning that that would make it into Rishut Yachid, and not just the fact that the one wall is Prutzal Rishut Rabim. Bamalei, ein mechitzat luya materet. And he answered him that suspended mechitzot cannot be matir. Ela, bamayim. Only in water do they work. Kalhu shekilu chachamim bamayim. It is a dispensation or a leniency that the chachamim gave with regards to suspended mechitzot and water. Vamai. Why do you allow that to work in water and not by land? You have the fish that go underneath it that would undermine it. You see from this that the fish going under it don't undermine the mechitza that is tluya, and therefore it's considered to be a good mechitza. So what you see from here, first of all, is that the problem of gedim bokimbo is not that that ruins the mechitza. That doesn't ruin the mechitza. All that does is prevent the halachic fiction of gurachit from taking effect. 
And so if you can have the good achit take effect, then that would overcome or deal with the fact that you have suspended mechitzot. So as long as you can invoke the principle of good achit, then the mechitzot tuliot are considered to be good mechitzot, and you don't have to worry about them. But if you have something that undermines the good achit, like gedi and bokimbo, then the mechitzot are still mechitzot liot, but mechitzot liot aren't any value to you because they're not classified as halachic mechitzot. And so it's not that the gedim biokimbo ruins the mechitzot liot, it just doesn't allow us to invoke the principle of gudachit. But Rav suggested that that's only true when you're doing on land. When you're doing on water, we allow mechitzot liot, and we don't worry about the fish that undermine it. And that is because it was a kula. It was a leniency that they had by water. The problem with that is, and it's not easy to understand, is what is the leniency? If the leniency is that we don't consider fish to undermine the mechitza, then it's not really a leniency. It is the ikar halacha. The halacha is that fish don't undermine it because you can't see them. And since they don't undermine it, we can invoke the principle of good achit. So why is that a kula by the water? It should be something that is mi'ikar adin. So the way that the ritva explains it is that that is the kula, that we don't worry about bikiat dagim. Meaning that mishut adin, bikiat dagim, and bikiat gidim is no difference between them. Why is it that we say, because we can't see them, we don't consider them as undermining the mechitza? That's a kula by the mayim. So that's how the ritva does it. He brings it all together in one picture, and that's why it's considered to be a kula over here. But that doesn't necessarily read well into the language. The language seems to indicate that there was a kula that the chachamim had by water, because that is something that allows you to draw water, and to have fresh water on Shabbat, which is a unique dispensation, nothing to do with the fish. The only problem with saying that is that over here, we're trying to invoke the principle of mechitzot, luyot, being real mechitzot, not for just drawing water, but also to make the boat of Meishan into a Rishut Yachid. That has nothing to do with drawing water, that has to do with what is the status of that boat. And therefore you see that the real reason that it is considered to be a mechitzah is because the bikiat Dagim is not considered to be a bikiat. And therefore, it's considered to be a mechitzah tuya. It's not a special dispensation in water. It has to do with the water itself. And either you have to then say that because they're not visible, that's a unique aspect of the water. Or you have to say like the ritva, which is that it really should have been a problem, but the chachamim were mekil by water not to worry about the bikiat dagim undermining the mechitzah over here. All right, so now the Gemara goes back to the Mishnah and questions the din in the Mishnah, which is a person who has two boats that are adjacent to each other, if they are tied together, then you can carry from one to the other. If they're not tied together, even though they're adjacent, you can't carry from one to the other. The Gemara says about that, Pshita, that's so simple, straightforward, I don't know why you need to tell me that. Tosvot over here said just that the question is the following. First of all, we're assuming that both boats are owned by a single individual. And therefore, there's no issue of Eruv over here because it's owned by one individual, it's a Rishut Yachid of the same individual. And therefore, the Gemara says it's Pshita, that when they're not tied together, you can't carry from one to the other. When they're tied together, Together, they're not moving anywhere, and you can move from one to the other without any problem. When they are not tied together, there's a possibility of them separating away or floating away from each other a little bit, and then we're worried about you then when you pass the material or object from one boat to the other boat, it might fall in the water that's in between, and that's a carmelite. And then you'll either be going from a shutiachit to a carmelite, or if you then dredge it out, you'll be taken from a carmelite back into a shutiachit. And that's why it's pshito over here, that it makes sense that when they're not tied, you can't carry between them, and when they are tied, you can carry between them. Though from Rashi, it makes it sound like the 
question of a pshita is that you can carry it. When they're tied together, the fact that you can carry from one to the other, that's so straightforward. Now, if it's owned by one person, of course, that's pshita. But it might be that Rashi is saying this even when it's owned by two people. If you have an Eruv between them, when they're tied together, why should it be that you can't carry from one boat to the other? And that's why the Gemara asks, what is it pshita? Natosva brings a similar explanation in his second explanation according to the Ri. Natosva Ri brings a similar explanation for the question of the Gemara over here of pshita by saying that the question is, I understand when they're not tied together but adjacent that you can't carry because there's a Carmelite in between, but in a case where they're tied together and they're stationary, why should it be that you can't move from one to the other? And even though we saw earlier in the Gemara, if you have two houses on the two sides of a Shutter Abim, and they're both yours, or Shutter Yachid, that you can throw something or pass something back and forth between them without any problem, that's because they are Kvi, because they are fixed in place, structurally stable, and that's why you're allowed to do that. But because over here the boats are moving around, they float and they're not tiled together, then that movement makes it as if you're throwing it through the Carmelite, and that's why it's problematic. Whereas if they're tied together, they then become structurally joined, as if they're one entity, and therefore they become like the houses on two sides of Rishut You can go from one to the other without worrying about the issue of the Carmelite. And Amiri goes one step further and says that the whole thing is Pashut, because when they've Sfinot, when the boats are tied together, there's no gapping between them, and therefore there's no Carmelite between them, and it makes sense you can carry it from one to the other. In a case where they're not tied together, even if they're adjacent to each other, there's always still a small amount of space between them, and therefore you're going from Rishut Yachid to Rishut Yachid, and therefore it's also pshito that you can't do it, or you can't carry it. Interestingly enough, the Ramah in Siman Shin Nan brings this Me'iri's distinction, Lalacha, and the Mishnah Brura quotes that, and then adds on, on top of that, that's only if the boats are less than 10 Tfachim high. But if the boats are 10 Tfachim high, it doesn't matter, because then you're going from a Yachid to a Yachid Derech Makom Tour, and that should be fine. The Chazanish is bothered by that explanation of the Mishnah Brura, because the whole problem here of moving from one boat to the other boat, like Tosafot says, is because you're going to drop it in the Carmelite in between. Why does it matter if you're above 10 Tfachim or below 10 Tfachim? It's one thing if the problem is that you're actually going to physically go through another Rishut, and therefore above 10 Tfachim is not that Rishut, it's a Makom Tour, and below it it is. But over here, even below it, the problem that we have is not that you're going into the Carmelite, but you're crossing or throwing it across the Carmelite, and we're afraid it's going to drop into the Carmelite in between. So why should there be a fear when it's less than 10 Fachim? When it's above 10 Fachim, there is no fear. It should have the same problem. And therefore, he rejects this qualification of the Mishnah Brewer that if it's above 10 Fachim, that you can do it. So it's clear that the Chazanish is understanding like the Bali Tosafot, that the problem here is that you might drop it in between. Whereas the Me'iri and the Tosafot Arid are speaking about the problem that you're actually carrying from a Rishut Yachid to a Rishut Yachid through a Rishut of a Carmelite. And that's the problem. And according to that, then if you're above 10 Fachim, that problem shouldn't exist. And that seemingly is what Rashi's interpretation here is as well, as we'll see from the continuation of the Gemara. And that's why the Mishnah Brura brings the distinction of below 10 Tfachim and above 10 Tfachim. Because the Chazunish, relying or leaning on the Bali explanation, thinks that, that it is a differentiation without a distinction, because if you're worried about dropping it or it's falling, that doesn't matter whether it's above or below 10 Tfachim. So Amarova, Rova says, I'll tell you what's unique about this case. As Rashi points out, this Beitzit is the same as the Bitziyoto that we saw at the beginning of today's daf. The small boat that's sitting between them, and the way Rashi explains it is they have two large boats that are tied together. And then in between the two large boats is a smaller boat that sits between them, and it's not tied up there. So what Rova is suggesting is that the Chiddush of the Mishnah is that you can move from the one boat to the other boat when they're tied up through the boat in the middle, 
even though the boat in the middle is not tied up, because the two outer boats are tied up, and that's the Chiddush of the Mishnah, which is a Chiddush that we don't worry about the little boat floating away or being jettisoned out from between these two larger boats, and you're allowed to then move from the larger boat to the smaller boat, and from the smaller boat into the larger boat. Amalei Rav Safra, so Rav Safra says, the Rav Moshe, Moshe meaning the Gadol Ador, the one who is like Moshe Rabbeinu, in Beitzah, Rashi translates it slightly differently and says, by the name of Moshe, he's like taking a Shvua, Shapir Kamart, are you really saying something that makes sense? The Mishnah says, Metatli Mizolazot, Tanan, says you carry from one to the other, meaning directly from one to the other, doesn't seem to be going through any intermediary between them. And the way you're suggesting is there's a third boat here which doesn't have any mention in the Mishnah. You only need it for an Eruv, which is that you're allowed to make an Eruv between these two boats, and to carry from one to the other. And the Chiddush over here, because I would have possibly thought that the boats are not considered to be stationary or to be something that is of permanence, and therefore you can't make an Eruv between them. Kamash Malan, the Mishnah tells us, once they are tied together, that overcomes the problem of them moving or being movable or floating away, and therefore you can carry from one to the other. And the Chiddush is here that when they're tied together, we consider them to be static enough, connected enough, that you can make an Eruv and carry from one to the other. If it is separates away or they split apart, then you can't carry from one to the other because they are nighty, they're floating around, they're not fixed in place, and therefore you can't make an Eruv between them. Because the Eruv, as Rashi says, is Batel Eruv. The Eruv is ruined or undermined by them being not tied together. Although Tosafot makes a suggestion over here that this part is also Pshita. It's Pshita that if, when they're tied together you can bring an Eruv. In the second explanation of Tosafot that is somewhat similar to Rashi, he suggests over there that the fact that they're tied together you can have an Eruv and carry from one to other is Pshita. And the fact when they're not tied together that you can't carry from one to the other is also pshita. So then what's the answer of the Gemara over here? That is the upcoming part of the Gemara, which is that even if the boats were tied and you made an Eruv, and then they become untied, and it ruins the Eruv, if they become tied again together, you can reinstate the Eruv, and that's the Chiddush of our Mishnah. like we have in a bright, Sfinot, Kshurot, Zobazo, if you have boats that are tied together, Marvin, Metatolim, Mizolazo. You can make an Eruv between them, if they're owned by different individuals, and you can carry from one to the other. Nifsiku, if they sever the tie between them, Ne'esru, they become problematic. And that, according to Rashi, is what the Mishnah's Chiddush is, that once they separate, you can't have them together because they're considered to be floating, and they don't have a din of Eruv, and when they're together, they're considered to be not naidik, v'ye, and you can make an Eruv on them. According to Tosafot, the next part of it is the Chiddush, which is Chazruvenik Shiru. If they then were re-tied together after severing or breaking apart, Ben Shogagim, whether it happened unintentionally, Ben Mezidim, whether it was done intentionally, Ben Anusim, whether it happened by force or some accident that they came together, Ben Mutain, or whether it was done by mistake, as Rashi explains over here, that it's mit asek, you were tying something else, and it ended up tying the boats together. They go back to their original status, and the Eruv is once again reinstated on Shabbat, even though they broke apart, or in essence, there's no dichoy. Just because the Eruv was ruined at one point during Shabbat, as long as they come back together, you can reinstate the Eruv, or the Eruv goes back to being reinstated, and it's not as if it ruined the Eruv permanently. And even though, as the Bible will point out, that the Gemara in Erevim suggests that that is true always, 
Once something is mutar on Shabbat, it remains mutar for the entire Shabbat, even though something has gone wrong along the way. But Tosavot says sometimes there's such an extreme problem that that extreme problem then ruins it, even if it was mutar before Shabbat. For instance, you have three houses in a row, and the middle house fell down during Shabbat, and it was an era between all these houses, and now it becomes a Rashut Rabim through the middle, then that will undermine the Eruv. That will be so ruinous that the Eruv is undermined. And so too over here. When the boats split apart, it's the equivalent of Rashut Rabim driving between them. And that's why the Eruv is undermined until they get back together. Once they come back together again, the original Eruv comes back into effect. And Bechein Machatzalot, or Prusot, so too with shades or mats that are set up to be Mechitzot in Rashut Rabim. Marvin Umetaltalim so if you make these little huts or square areas in the Rishut Rabim that have mechitzot around them that are made of these mats, and there are a number of people that did this in an area, and then they make an Eruv between them, you're allowed to carry from one to the other because that's from Rishut Yechit to Rishut Yechit to Rishut Yechit. Some eliminate the word Rishut Rabim here, even if this is done in a Carmelite. Niglilu, if they get rolled up, the mats get rolled up, or they fold it up, and it ruins these Rishut Yechit, Nesro, then you can't carry in that area. Chazruv and Nifrisu, if they were then reinstated, meaning they were stretched out or spread out once again, Ben Shogigim, Ben Mezidim, whether it was done unintentionally, intentionally, Ben Anusim, when it was accidental, or Ben Mutaim, or it happened because you were Mitasek, Chazruv et Tehran Rishon. That goes back to the original state. Shkol Mechitzah, Shenaseh B'Shabbat. Because any Mechitzah that comes into effect on Shabbat, Ben B'Shogeg, Ben B'Mezid, Shema Mechitzah. It has the status of a mechitzah. We don't say it's melechet Shabbat, or it's something that was done on Shabbat, and therefore it's not classified as a mechitzah. On Shabbat, these are classified as mechitzot, and they have an effectiveness or an implication for Dinei Shabbat to make it into a Rishut Yachid. And so to here by the boats, once they are retied together, or the machatzalot, once they're re-stretched out or spread out again, they become Rishut Yachid. And it reinstates the Eruv and makes those areas into a Shriot Yachid. What says Ini? Is that really true? That's only true if you're throwing something in there. Meaning that Midoraita, if you throw from a Shutrabim into this area that has the Mechitzot spread out, it'll be a real Rishut Yachid Midoraita, and you're going to be Chayav Echatat or Mita, depending whether you did it B'Shogeg or B'Mezid. But to carry around in there the Kula that this should be considered a Rishut Yachid to carry within it, that does not happen when the Mechitzot are spread out on Shabbat itself. Kamar says, Rav Nachman's statement was only said when it was done intentionally. When it was done intentionally, yes, Midoraita it is a Mechitzot, and that's why if you throw from Rishut Rabim into this Rishut Yachid, you'll be Chayav. On the other hand, there was a Knas imposed, a fine imposed by the Chachamim, for you intentionally making Mechitzot on Shabbat, that then you lose the ability to use it in the Kula side, on the lenient side, to carry around inside of it, to be classified as a Rishut Yachid. That's only true by Mezid, by the others, by Shogeg, by Ones, or by the case of Mutain. Over there you have full usage of it. And Nachman's qualification was only about Mezid. That which is said in the bright though, are about all the other situations besides Mezid. And Tozwell points out that the Rebbeinu Tam says over here that that's only true by the Machatzalot. But by the boats, even if they were put back together by Mezid, they go back to Eitar and Arishon. That's because the boats themselves were always a Rishut Yachid. Each boat independently is a Rishut Yachid. The only question is, is that the Eruv sufficient to allow you to carry between the two different boats? And so there, even if it was done by Mezid, we would allow you to carry from boat to boat afterwards, because it's already a Rishut Yachid Doraita. 
So the only thing that could happen, or the only benefit you could have by having them tied back together, is the fact that the Arab is reinstated. And over there, the Rebbeinu Tam says that there was no knas, because it is a Rishuti Yachid from the outset. It's all a Dinder Abundant of Eruv, and therefore we allow it to reinstate itself, as opposed to the Machatzalot, where when they're folded up, they lose their status of Rishuti Yachid Midoraita, and when they're reopened, they become Rishuti Yachid Doraita. Over there, if you did it with Mezid, we then only say the Chumrah, that it's a Rishuti Yachid, not the Kula. And then when the Gemara says, Shukom Mechitza, Shanaseh Shabbat is Shema Mechitza, over here by the boat, that's not true. So what it's saying, according to the Baytosafot, is that it's a Kavachomer. If a Mechitza that's made on Shabbat can be a full-fledged Mechitza to change something from a Shuter or a Kamalit into a Shuter Yachid, then certainly it has the capacity to allow an Eruv to be reinstated. And that's why, if it's true by the Machatzalot, it's also true by the boats. Amar Shmuel, Even if the boats are tied together, not with really strong rope, or with metal, Rather, they're tied together with the tie that's used to tie together like the top of a cape or a cloak. They're the two strings that hold together these types of cloaks or capes on the individual. Hey, Chidomi, I want to know what exactly is the situation. Either Yochol Amidan, if it has the capacity to keep them together, then Pshita, it should work. If it's not strong enough to hold them together, it's going to snap. Am I? Then why should it work? It's not holding them together. So why is it working or not working over here? It should just depend on whether it's strong enough or not strong enough. When it says, It has the capacity to hold them together. And Shmuel's statement over here comes to undermine or negate another statement that he made. He has a qualification in another situation. In that situation, he requires that it be a metal chain holding them together. Over here, he does not require that. He only requires a chutas sarbao, and that's what he's coming to indicate, that that requirement of a metal chain is unique to the situation that I was speaking about before. Over here, you don't need that. As long as it's strong enough to hold them together, it'd be sufficient. It's not. If he ties it with something that can hold it. Now, it doesn't literally mean something that can hold it. It means something that normally is used to hold it in place. Then it causes Tumah to be passed. If it's something that does not hold it in place, not that it doesn't physically hold it in place, but it's something that's not usually used to hold it in place, it does not bring Tumah. And on that, that is only if it's tied with a metal chain, which means that what is the normal thing used to tie up a boat is a metal chain. And so only if it's tied up with a metal chain does it allow for the Tumah to pass. Now Rashi claims over here that this is a situation in which the boat is tethered to an Ohel. The Ohel has Tumata mate inside of it, and the boat is tethered to it. The chain that connects the boat to the Ohel brings the Tumah from the Ohel to the boat. If the chain itself is just a regular piece of material, not metal, then the mate inside the Ohel is an Avia Vot Tumah. The chain itself becomes an Ava Tumah. The boat becomes a Rishon the Tumah. And then the things or the utensils that are inside the boat can't become Tameh because a Rishon the Tumah only affects food and drink. It does not affect utensils or kelim. Again, this also assumes that the boat itself can become Tameh, and that we saw earlier back on Daf Pei Gimel Medbet, where we're speaking about a boat like Svinata Yardain that's light enough and small enough that you can carry it full and empty so that it is Mikabal Tumah. Otherwise, if it's too big, it's not Mikabal Tumah at all, and this none of this would be relevant. 
So we're speaking, obviously, about a small boat. So that's true if it's tethered with any material besides metal. If it's tethered with something that's metal, metal has a unique din, as the Gemara is going to say here, which is, that metal takes on the same level of Tumah as the object that it's in contact with. That's a limit we'll see in one second. And therefore, if a metal is in contact with a mate, so is the metal of Tumah. If it's in contact with Avatumah, it also becomes an Avatumah. It does not drop down one level. So what it's being suggested over here, according to Shmuel, according to Rashi, is that if you have a metal chain that's holding it, then the metal chain doesn't drop down a level of Tumah. And so then, instead of it being that the Avatumah uh, is the mate, and then the connecting rope is an Avatumah, and the boat is a the Tumah, the chain has the same status as the Tamate itself, which is Aviyah Bota Tumah, and therefore the boat is an Avatumah, and then the utensils inside of it are affected because an Avatumah can affect utensils. And that's what the Gemara says now, that that's only true, the Tumahu. It says about Tumatamait in Pashat Chukat that it has to do with a Chalal that was killed by a Cherev. And the Gemara Dashim from that, that the metal or the, the sword that was used to kill the individual has the same status as the Chalal, as the corpse itself. And therefore it retains the Tumat of an Avi Avota Tumat. That's when you need metal. About the Shabbat, over here about the boats, came into Yechola Amida. The only question is, is it stable? And it's able to hold it together. Even with the Sarbal, it would be sufficient and you don't need metal. You could use anything that is strong enough to hold them together. That is Rashi's explanation of the Gemara. Tosafot rejects Rashi's explanation over here for a number of reasons. First of which is, what does one din of Shmuel have to do with the other din of Shmuel? One din is a din in Tumah. It's unique because it's metal. And why would you ever extrapolate that to Shabbat? The two have nothing to do with each other. And why would you have a suggestion that Shmuel needs to come to negate that which he said by the union of Tumah? In addition, why do you need the boat to be tied into the oil? It says Kashra. It doesn't need to be tied. As long as the metal is inside the oil, even if it's not tied, it can bring the Tumah. So what's the issue or what's the inyan of it being tied over here? So therefore, the Baliyatosafot reject Rashi's explanation and favor the explanation of the Rashbam, Rashi's grandson, who changes the gear set to say that it doesn't say mevila et etuma to bring to the boat the tuma, ela meviat etuma. It's able to move the tuma. And it's based on the first part of that Mishnah, which is talking about items that are in the water. If there's a mate in the water, and there's a boat on top of it, and the boat on one side is above the mate, it does not carry the Tumah from one side of the boat to the other side of the boat because it's not classified as an OL. It's not classified as an OL because it's nighty. It floats, it moves, it's not static or stationary in the water. But then the Mishnah comes along and says that if it is tied with something that holds it in place and no longer makes that it's floating around or moving all the time, then it's then it does become an OL and it can move Tumah from under one side to the other side of the boat. And Shmuel comes along and says, what is considered to be a Davar Mamida? That's a Shoshelet Parshel Barzel. That's a metal chain. That's what's considered to be enough to create a static, steady, stable boat that can make it into an Ohel. Because it has to be tied so well and so tight that it doesn't move anymore. That's what the qualification is in order for it to be classified as a Ohel. Now, it doesn't literally have to be Barzel. It has to be like Barzel. As Talisfeld quotes, like the, by Ketubah, it says Tzonur Barzel, which means something that's very strong. So over here, by the case of the Tumat Ohel, you need something extremely strong and very powerful 
in order to stabilize the boat and have it be classified as an OL. Then he comes along to the Gemara to say that's only true by the case of OL. That is not true by the case of Shabbat. He skips the whole part of the Gemara about Cherev Harehu Kechalal. He says that was added in later. That's not part of the Girsa. And the differentiation is that by OL, you need something very stable and fixed in place in order to be an OL. By Shabbat, we just need it that they won't separate away from each other. And therefore, as long as it's strong enough to keep them together, it doesn't have to be strong enough to make them absolutely stable. That will be enough to allow you to make an Eruv between the boats and have them be considered a single entity. Because by Shabbat, the only issue is, is it a Rishut Achad? Is it considered to be a single area or entity? As opposed to by OL, where you need an OL that is stable and static in order to be classified as an OL, there you need something much stronger to hold it in place. Okay, we're going to stop here by the bottom of Kufala from in bed.